Hi, I'm Jason Nichols, and I'm on the left. And I'm Vince Colonnese, and I'm on the right. And, and if, if we, we can't, can't find, find common, common ground, ground in this world, world today, today, then we're all just travelers. Passing each other in an international airport. And this great American experiment will be relegated to the trash bin of history. So let's come together to debate without yelling. And, and let's, let's save, save this, this nation. nation. Famed attorney Lanny Davis, next on Vincent Jason Save the Nation. Vincent Jason Save the Nation is brought to you by Gold Co. Hey, welcome to another edition of Vince and Jason Save the Nation. Dr. Jason Nichols, nice to see you. What do we have today? Uh, today, we have an incredible guest, somebody that I'm really excited to talk to. Uh, and that is our good friend, uh, attorney Lanny Davis. Lanny, how you been? Hi, Jason. Nice to be on. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's great to have you. Um, you. So there, there's so much, so much to talk about. And uh, I guess I want to start with the nitty gritty of how you got involved in the situation with Michael Cohen. Um, you know, obviously you were on a, the other side of the aisle from Michael Cohen. Why, do you, why is it that he chose you to be uh, his attorney and to represent him? So it's a great question. And uh, someday I hope to write a, a little minor uh, book about my life and include some of the details of a really colorful story, but a mutual friend, uh, former law partner, and I were talking and I said something about Michael Cohen is uh, likable, even though he did dirty deeds for 10 years in my view, but uh, I just said something fairly kind about him to a mutual friend. And then I said, I'd be willing to try to help him if he's willing to tell the truth. Uh, everyone can be redeemed by truth. So that led to a conversation between me and Michael. And I told him I would do it without charge, but only if I were convinced that he was going to absolutely tell the truth, starting with acknowledging the evil deeds that he did for 10 years and expressing remorse with no ifs, ands, or buts. And it took a while for the two of us to get to know each other, for him to trust me enough to actually tell me what was in his heart, as opposed to talking points. And it was a process and over a period of time, I reached the conclusion he was willing to step up and own up. And then after that, tell the truth. And then we went forward. You know, I think when you think of Michael Cohen, a lot of, I think people, depending on the side of the political aisle they fall on, kind of assume that he has some sort of partisan politics. But then then you run down the list of the people that he's worked with and and talked to throughout his career. He's all over the place. I mean, I just remember the the uh, the uh, audio tapes leaking of his conversations with Chris Cuomo and his advice he was giving to him. He's advised people like Sean Hannity, of course, on real estate transactions. He's worked with Trump through the years. You end up being his attorney. So there's like, I don't think the idea that Michael Cohen is like some sort of partisan figure uh, is really resonant. He's he seems to be like kind of just like a hired, uh, 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 you know, guy who just like who will do the work for the people who hire him. But isn't Donald Trump that way as well? Like he's been all over the political map as well. Like he's with the Reform Party. He was a Democrat. He was you know he was a Republican. Then he became a Democrat again. Then he became a Republican. Again. So I think you know that's kind of New York politics. No. Well, I, I, Trump gave money to Hillary Clinton. So at that point in time, I, I didn't have a problem with him. So that's a, <laughs> that's a good point. But Jason, your point is very well taken. It's what caused me difficulty and Michael difficulty before we reached agreement on going forward and my helping him, which was the uh, presumption of insincerity, of opportunism, of expediency in anything he would pay going forward. And no matter what he said, even when he testified publicly, there was still a presumption in many people's minds that he wasn't sincere or wasn't being truthful. Mm -hmm. uh, and he was convicted of being untruthful on behalf of Donald Trump. People, Republican, forget to add. So it took me a while to reach the conclusion and overcome uh, what you authentically are saying gives you grounds for suspicion. And when he had to utter the words without any ifs, ands, or buts, which is part of my crisis management advice to people, is when you apologize, it's not a Washington definition of apology, which is, I'm sorry if I offended you. No ifs, right. no ands, no buts. Are you sorry? And then tell me why you're sorry. Don't tell me about 
me. Tell me about you. And then tell me what you're going to do about it to convince me that this isn't just an expedient moment for you. That was a difficult time with me and Michael figuring that out. And ultimately the camera and the truth is very difficult to hide when you're on camera. And he was in front of the entire world that day during the House committee hearings. I think he did a good job. He wasn't perfect, but we worked well together. Once I was convinced, it took me a while that he was ready to step up and take responsibility. No ifs, ands, or buts. Why do you think you're the tapes? I remember actually seeing you on a news program. And one of the things that you said was, you know, don't believe me. I'm an old yeah. liberal, you know, believe what it's what's on these tapes. This is going to make the difference. Donald Trump is going to be held accountable. Now, what we saw was that uh, your client was held accountable, but it never seemed to trickle up to Donald Trump. And, you know, he still seemed to to get away with everything. And then Michael Cohen said he had all this documentation and nothing seems to stick to Donald Trump. Why do you think that is? Well, first of all, if I could be a little bit personal, I, I've had maybe five or 10 top moments on TV that I remember and were very vivid, some negative, some positive. But the most positive moment for me was when we heard Trump deny that he had used the word cash about paying off Stormy Daniels. And when we heard Giuliani say the same thing, that it was Michael Cohen who used the word cash. And when I called Michael and I said in the New York Times story, it, who used the word cash? He said, Lanny, we have a tape. I said, you mean we have a tape of Trump saying the word cash? Yes, not Giuliani, Trump. I said, Trump's voice? He said, yes. So I went up to New York, I sat in the lawyer's office, they brought out the tape that Michael had on his phone. And I listened to Donald Trump saying the word, we can use cash to pay off Stormy Daniels, having just denied that he had used that word. So uh, Michael and I called Chris Cuomo. That was the moment, uh, same day, nine o'clock at night, that we could get it done. And I sat um, about an hour beforehand thinking, now, what am I really going to do here? And I spoke to uh, my oldest son, who does TV and is a big critic of his dad. And he said to me, Dad, you're not always believed, you know. You're politically viewed, and some people don't believe you. I struck me in the heart. I said, okay, only a son can say that, but I, I agree. So what's your advice? He said, dad, you have a tape. Don't try to persuade people the way you always do that you're right. Sometimes you're not right. Again, only a son can say that. But he said, just say, listen to the tape. So that's what we did on Cuomo. And I had such a great time because I did set it up on my own by saying, don't believe me. I'm a liberal Democrat. I'm a partisan Democrat. Don't believe me. Believe your own, and I guess the word's lying years, but I didn't use the word lying. And we played the tape, and it was just a great moment because, of course, there was Donald Trump saying, we can use cash. And then, of course, the Trump people tried to say, really, wasn't Donald Trump? Well, yes, it was. So uh, the answer to your question about why nothing sticks to Donald Trump, well, let me put it this way. It stuck. 40%, uh, 35% now of the country still believes in Donald Trump, but you're talking 60, 65% of the country that don't. And that's consistent with every poll. He was impeached twice in a one term and didn't get reelected. So when you say nothing sticks, two House impeachment votes, you could say they were partisan, the way I used to say about the Clinton impeachment vote. But we did have seven Republicans in the United States Senate, conservative Republicans, who voted to not just convict, but remove the president. So I'm not sure he escaped, uh, uh, but honestly, Jason, uh, 35 to 40% of the country is never going to listen to the facts and they're not going to change their mind about Donald Trump. They love the guy or they believe in him or whatever the reason is, we're not going to change their minds. Yeah. I mean, one of the reasons why we see public distrust in these institutions and support for Trump, even in the face of things where he deserved uh, more criticism and scrutiny, is because of the overzealous attempts to take him down that didn't have merit. Uh, and so I think people became dull to the idea that new allegations had meaning or any credibility behind them uh, because there was so much hysteria around Trump. It actually continues to this day. It's like Trump has to, is like, has got this gravitational pull that sucks the media towards him all the time. Uh, but the reality is like, think about those 
those four years of being president, most of them were hamstrung by over-the-top conspiracy theories involving the Russians that locked up Congress, that dominated all of that legislative agenda and didn't well serve the American people. And it's only in retrospect, you know, with each passing month, we would find out something like, oh, you know, that thing that we were obsessing over, it turned out not to be true. Uh, and, and we're still getting the details now, Lanny. So I think, you know, the idea that there are people who, who as you kind of put it, like for whatever reason are still with Trump, that's one of the big reasons is that the establishment um, has dramatically overplayed its hand in the pursuit of political ends rather than assessing the facts and being scrupulous with handling them. Well, I'm, I don't want to debate whether the impeachment uh, regarding the allegations of uh, colluding with Russia were or were meritorious. I will just say that a Republican attorney general, one of the earliest U.S. senator to endorse Donald Trump, to say he's a conservative Jeff Sessions is an understatement, made the decision to appoint a special counsel, Bob Mueller. And Mueller investigated and closed up his investigation, unlike the Whitewater investigation in my years with Bill Clinton that went on for 11 years uh, and $60 million later, Mueller closed it down pretty quickly. Putting that aside, I don't recall Donald Trump supporting, introducing, and getting passed an infrastructure bill, which he constantly said he wanted to do. So there are things that Trump could have done in an affirmative way, gotten bipartisan support, at least on that legislation, uh, which he didn't do. He also promised a substitute for Obamacare, which he originally supported and then as president opposed, and that's fine. But he never introduced an alternative, nor did any of the Republicans. In other words, my best answer to you, Jason, rather than defending what happened with Bob Mueller's investigation created by Attorney General Jeff Sessions, I would just point to what Trump could have done affirmatively to build an affirmative record and a bipartisan one if he wanted to. He certainly had the ability to do it. He just didn't do it. He was, I'm thinking, uh, too possessed with Twitter and uh, his own, uh, let's just say, self-preoccupation, to be kind, that he never looked at the opportunity he had to work with Democrats in Congress. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. I don't know exactly how he was hamstrung. I think that there was an independent investigation going on, and he was still president, and he was doing actually a few things. Many of them, uh, I, you know, many of them I wouldn't agree with. Some of them, uh, you know, I, I think were good, like, you know, the First Step Act. So he, 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 I don't think he was hamstrung just because, of, you know, somebody's investigating something. Um, because, you know, of course, uh, Benghazi, we know that that really doesn't have, you know, the merit and, and it lasted a long time and it, you know, costed, you know, a whole lot of resources. But we don't need to get into debating that. I, one question I have also is, you know, uh, you're, you said that your son says that people don't always believe you. Um, right. And when you look up Lanny Davis, a lot of times what you see is people saying, this is kind of the lawyer for bad guys. Bad guys go to Lanny Davis. So, you know, one thing, you know, as someone who studies the African world, you know, when I saw, and I didn't even know about this, was that you represented Equatorial Guinea. I think there are a lot of people who are like, whoa, you know, that that's one of the longest running familial dictatorships uh, and, and has a lot of human rights uh, violations. Um, do you think that maybe that affected how the public viewed uh, Michael Cohen, you know, because it's like you have Lanny Davis, who is known as a, a lawyer, whether it's true or not, I'm not saying it's, it's true, but, you know, perceived as being a lawyer for, for bad guys, you know, Ukrainian oligarchs and, and African dictators. Do you think that that could have actually hurt uh, Michael Cohen and the perception of Michael Cohen? Sure. Uh, there are some people who, uh, as yourself, thoughtful people who will do a quick Google and then won't read beyond uh, what is a distorted depiction of what I did. And then I'm stuck with that and I can't do much about an internet. I wrote a chapter about my representation of what you call bad guys in a book that I wrote called Crisis Tales. And the title of the chapter was A Fool for a Client, 
meaning I tried to fight back representing myself when uh, what you just described, for example, I'm not blaming you because that's what you read online. Uh, people don't go beyond the Googleization of what you learn from the internet. And I likened it in my chapter to being in a swarm of bees, the bees being misinformation. And when you're Googled, the swarm swarms. And when you try to fight back, what happens to the swarm of bees? They just get angrier. So without spending any time on this, I'll just give you two facts that you may not have read or didn't get beyond the first sentence. Fact one, I was hired by Equatorial Guinea on the urging of Archbishop Desmond Tutu to clean them up, to clean them up. And Archbishop Desmond Tutu released a letter thanking me for taking on the commitment from the president of, our, of Equatorial Guinea to clean up human rights, democracy, and the rule of law. And Archbishop Desmond Tutu endorsed and sponsored me. We made that public. Secondly, I said, no, I won't do this unless you make a speech to a media conference in Cape Town, South Africa, involving Time Magazine, CNN, and Forbes, and that you publicly commit to cleaning up Equatorial Guinea, sitting on all that oil, more oil than Saudi Arabia, but the West won't touch you because you're a corrupt dictator. He committed to making the speech and he made the speech. Now those two facts, the speech and Archbishop Desmond Tutu, and the reason I did what I was doing, are very difficult for you to see or read because all you'll get is Lanny Davis represents bad guys. That's the world that we live in. And it's the internet echo chamber where once you're uh, attacked, it's very difficult to correct the record. Okay, so, so Vince, before you say anything, I just wanna yeah. say, I was speaking on the perception. I did yes, read those course. things. And I wasn't saying that I, that you're a bad guy or that you, no, you know, the that, that's not, that's not what I was trying to get across. I'm saying the per, the public perception uh, of you sometimes leans yeah. that way. So I understand. And okay. you're right. And, and it's a, a long winded way of saying is once you get labeled in the internet echo chamber, uh, it doesn't allow you to correct the record. As I said, the chapter that I wrote, I called myself a fool for having myself as my own lawyer to try to fight back. Let me ask you about uh, Hillary Clinton, because her, new, her name is back in the news now. Yet again, the speculation that she could have yet another presidential run. Uh, she was uh, doing some high profile fundraising this week for at least one Senate candidate. Uh, you know, what what do you think the chances are of another Hillary Clinton run for president? I really have no idea. I am a great friend from law school days when her last name was Rodham. So my uh, ability to say anything about Hillary Clinton uh, is very difficult because I love her and considered her to be such a close friend. Sean Hannity, once I used to be on his show a lot. He once said to me, I'm never having you on when Hillary Clinton is running because you're not able to objectively discuss anything about Hillary Clinton. And I said, well, I could say the same thing about you, Sean, but maybe let's just agree I won't be on while Hillary is running. So the answer to your question is, I don't know. She is the most qualified and public uh, capable person, uh, including her husband, that I met during my law school years. I always thought she would become president, but I kind of think family and priorities of her life uh, are now different than when she ran in 2016, but I, I really don't know the answer. I mean, it seems to me, you know, even even since she lost, uh, we've seen some of, you know, the ongoing kind of very emotional media tours that she's done discussing uh, the fact that she still wishes that she had won. At one point uh, recently, she was on camera reading a letter crying to her mother that she had written a hypothetical letter to her late mother explaining her success at becoming president of the United States. So it, it strikes me, and it maybe maybe it strikes you, given that you know her so well, that this is something that she still very badly wants. I can't uh, answer that, honestly. It's up to Hillary to uh, explain, but I don't think uh, wanting the office as much as all the years that I've known her, uh, it's wanting to do good using politics. And that sounds corny, but the first time I met her, this is a little anecdote that is worth telling. I was standing online to register for classes. I was in my third year, which is senior year, three years in law school. She was just entering in her first year. And I turned around and I recognized her because she had given a very uh, well-covered speech at Wellesley for her senior speech about the 60s and a lot of the issues. 
And I turned to and I said, are, are you Hillary Rodham? I just read about you. That was a great speech you made. Is there anything I can do to give you help on what courses to choose and what teachers are tough and not? And her first sentence back to me was, nice to meet you. The second sentence was, where is the nearest legal services clinic? I said, you're about to get into your first semester at Yale Law School. You don't have time to volunteer at a legal services clinic. With all due respect, take six months to figure this place out, then you can go volunteer. But from that moment on, I always saw her uh, before she was running for president or as a US Senator, as thinking public service was her ultimate goal in life, not going to Wall Street and making a lot of money. And I think that's been my consistent experience with her. So if she wants to be president again, I, I hope for her sake she doesn't, uh, it's because she really thinks she can do public good. Can can well, I Lenny, ask? I'll, I'll just I'll just say sorry to interrupt real quick. There's yeah. one other person who lost who really wants to be president, even though they're no longer president. But at any rate, well, uh, let me Vince, let me just ahead. ask this question though, because because yeah. given how long you've known her, telling that story from law school, how many people would you say she's killed through the years? Do you know? He's <laughs> how many has she killed? How many people has she killed off, Lanny Davis? Because you know, the, like as Jason was citing moments ago. You know, on the internet, there's this this, this perception uh, of people, and one of the perceptions of Hillary Clinton is that she's just killed so many people. So, Lanny, you know the answer. This is your chance to share it with yeah, the world. Where are the bodies buried, Lanny? Yeah. <laughs> so when I used to get up at 5:30 in the morning and show up at WMAL and face Vince to uh, be asked kind and gentle questions like that, one, I, was, <laughs> I was too sleepy to be able to really be aware of what he was asking. <laughs> So I won't I won't dignify what I assume was a not all serious question. <laughs> okay, he's done a lot of public good, in my opinion. More with Lanny Davis in just a moment. But first, Vincent Jason Save the Nation is brought to you by Goldco. Jason, what do you think? Hillary Clinton for president? I mean, I, here's the thing. And this is this is why I, I throw it to you, Jason, is like I uh, I do think that, you know, she lost to Trump. And I thought I think a lot of that was not just a support of Trump, but an indictment of her. There was kind of this rejection of the status quo that animated that vote. And my my guess is if that she ran again, that that she'd be subjected to the same same kind of assessment. That you know, people see her as establishment Washington. That's not really what they're looking for, are they, Jason? Yeah. Well, I think this is one area. Lanny and I could probably sit down, have coffee. Uh, I drink tea, but we would sit down and we would probably agree on a whole lot. Um, we would probably disagree on uh, Hillary Clinton. I think we agree that she shouldn't run again. I think that, you know, we agree there. Um, and part of this is kind of what Lanny was talking about in terms of himself. I think the perception of her for some reason is so negative um, and she animates the right so much. You guys get so hype when it's when you know the name Hillary Clinton comes up, and I, you know I don't fully understand it, um, but I don't think that the left wing fervor for her is as strong as the right wing hatred of her, um, and and I think that strategically it would be a bad idea um, to have her run again, but I do want to ask. Um, and, and again, this is sort of that same extension of, of that question, because I, I know people who have actually worked with Hillary Clinton or Secretary Clinton at the um, at the State Department. And, you know, I even had some, you know, negative views of, of Hillary and and Bill Clinton at the time. And I remember these people who I trust saying she is incredibly smart incredibly kind, incredibly diligent, hardworking, understanding, uh, thoughtful, like nothing but good nothing but but good responses from the people who worked with her at the State Department. Why is the perception of Hillary Clinton so negative? So um, it's, a, it's a great point. And I, I'd actually love to hear Vince's view. That isn't a partisan view, but a a thoughtful one, which Vince can often be very thoughtful. She has uh, emerged as a negative uh, uh, perception on the conservative side. Uh, liberals and progressives love her, but there are people on the left who also criticize her for being, quote, too centrist. 
And that's the knock on Bill Clinton as well. And I think she wears that label proudly because being centrist means you're a liberal who reaches out across the aisle and tries to get things done. But I would at least uh, go back to the words that you used. People who know her use those words. I've known her for, I hate to admit, 50 years, but that's about the number. And kindness is the most important word I would think of through incidents in my life and in the lives of others. So the essential kindness of this person, unfortunately, she becomes a cartoon character when she's in politics and being attacked and the cartoon qualities attributed to her are nothing like the Hillary Clinton that I know, but that's the reality that she faces. And it's a tough reality. Sometimes it's very hurtful and she's just plowed through the hurt. And I think what keeps her going is wanting to do the public good, as I said earlier. Lanny, I'll, I'll, I'll address uh, your question in just a moment, but I, I do want to ask, you know, one of the things that we've seen is this idea that Secret Service agents, for instance, have written books suggesting uh, that Hillary Clinton was a nightmare to work with. Um, is that, are those things just completely untrue, sensationalism? Uh, it, was she, is she like kind of like tough on the people that uh, work around her? So Dwight Eisenhower was, was supposed to be a sweetheart, although he was a tough-ass general. And uh, Secret Service agents complained about uh, Eisenhower being prickly when he was on the golf course. Every president and every first lady will have some Secret Service agents or high-level White House officials who will speak uh, negatively because they get to see up close when somebody loses their temper or isn't always at their best. So I don't doubt the sincerity of people who had negative uh, experiences, right. uh, but I would say uh, every person has weaknesses and strengths. Uh, Hillary and Bill Clinton are no different than you and I, but I know on balance that she's got a great heart. She's one of the best friends I've ever had at moments of great pain for me. She was always there and I've never seen her any different with others. She has friends from kindergarten. I think most of them still alive. So she has to have something in her human qualities, uh, Vince, I would say, suggests that she's uh, got her flaws and her weaknesses, just like everyone on this program does. Yep. But she's uh, on balance. Uh, I, I really think Jason's adjectives about her were exactly right on. So, so to answer your question about, uh, you know, a thoughtful, hopefully, uh, perception of Hillary Clinton, um, Here's what I see, and I don't think it's exclusive to the right. I think that there are elements of the left who feel this way. Certainly Bernie Sanders supporters come to mind, is that she is a ruthless, cutthroat establishment figure. Uh, and that, that I'm sorry? I was just repeating the adjectives, ruthless, cutthroat establishment. So they're, um, they're yeah, that, that, and this is, and so just some data points to, to add to that. So one, like you, you mentioned, like kind of the view that there, she's more aligned with the centrists. That can also be seen as kind of being aligned with the neocons, like the idea that like she, she's on a more warlike posture. She bragged about uh, killing off Muammar Gaddafi uh, and the, the subsequent destabilization of Libya that came along with that uh, is one of the things that has led critics on both the left and the right to think that maybe we need a better posture on foreign policy, for instance. Another is that, you know, like when you look at things like donations to the Clinton Foundation and how they exactly completely evaporated uh, nearly. Uh, following her time running for president, it was kind of yet another tell that Washington and in her, Hillary Clinton's case is nothing more than a transactional town, that, that this isn't about doing good, but instead trying to buy access. And the big thing that stands out to the right, less so to the left, I think, is the extent to which her campaign was involved in an effort to see doubt and mistrust in her rival campaign, the Trump campaign, about the issues surrounding Russia. And we're now seeing prosecutions of at least one Clinton lawyer, Michael Sussman, by John Durham related to lies that were told um, regarding that. And, and with that in mind, that was, I, I'd say that would be a pretty gross abuse of the powers of the federal government and access to that government that leads, uh, you know, certainly many on the right and then some left-wing critics to say, no, Hillary Clinton shouldn't have control of the levers of power. If That's my, that's my thoughtful answer to you, I think. Well, uh, with all due respect, if uh, I could respectfully point out to you that you cited one example of one prosecution after all of the time spent by Durham, and you called the prosecution, which is yet to result in a conviction, it's mm -hmm. an accusation. One, a Clinton lawyer who in the 
parlance of being a Clinton lawyer, it would be a stretch to say Clinton lawyer is a lawyer who worked for the Clinton campaign, but has not been convicted of anything. Is that all you have from Durham? No, I can, can I can lay out. Else, I could lay out more if you'd like. We have limited time, but one of the well, one of the pieces accusations is accusations. Mark- I'm talking about Durham as Durham. We both agree Durham's only made one public accusation. Yes. Yeah. No, he's made uh, he's he also indicted um, Kevin Kleinsmith, a an FBI lawyer who changed the uh, changed FBI. an email from the but CIA. Not, we were talking yeah. Hillary, and he's not been convicted of anything yet either. So, right? Um, I, I forget about the status right. of his case. But I think he settled. It's, it's, you, it, you'd actually, agree? No, I think he was convicted. Actually, I think, I think you'd agree that you're kind of reaching to look for examples. No, I'm not. I, and let me just add FBI another FBI lawyer, and you well, gave me a Clinton lawyer. As okay, look, you could keep on kicking the tires on this. I'm going to keep on giving you air then, because here, so get, here's here's get another me one. Facts and how about, give me facts. How about Mark I'll, Elias? I'll debate facts. With how about Mark Elias? So so yeah, yes, your how test here in this. Mark Elias is a great lawyer, and he's not been even accused of anything. Yeah, well, here's what he had did do, and this is a matter of the public record, that he's the one who solicited this dossier on Donald Trump in order to construct this notion that Trump had some sort of untoward relationship with the Russian government. You know, this is that was a Mark Elias production while he was working uh, for Perkins Coie alongside Michael Sussman. And by the way, Sussman billed the hours that he was lying to the FBI, allegedly, to the Clinton campaign. Have I, have I missed something, Vince? We were talking about accusation of illegal conduct. Now you're talking about a lawyer who retains a research uh, operation, which most people have said was true, at least part of it was true. But that's not a crime that you just mentioned about Mark Elias or even anything unethical. Well, he hasn't been- Republicans, Republicans hire opposition research firms. That's true. So That's true, they do. That's that's absolutely true, they do. But, I'm saying but that really, the, 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 the specific substance here, Again, as I mentioned earlier in our conversation, which I think was debilitating to an American administration and a misuse of, of access to the levers of power within the security state, um, you know, we'll see if Mark Elias is charged. I don't have a tremendous amount of faith that we'll he see. will be, but- We um, were certainly talking about him as if he did something wrong and we haven't had any facts from you that he did. I just laid some out. Illegal. But mm-hmm. let's at least ask you the question. I would love to be the moderator of this show and Jason will make it a little okay. bit easier. Go for it. So, Vince, <laughs> give me one reason why Donald Trump didn't introduce an infrastructure bill and get it passed. I'll be quiet. Trump is a man of many failures. Trump's a man of many failures. And, and so getting distracted by some of this is one of the Distracted failures. is your reason? Getting, He's well, president of the United was, States. What, did you, the was he, was he, he consumed? Distracted. Do you think he was consumed with the, atta- the ongoing attacks on him? Was he distracted by that? I, I think for a, a person who is consumed with Twitter and himself and sees the world always through his own prism, so the I answer is yes. He was consumed so the with answer, himself. The answer is yes. But if that's your reason why he didn't introduce an yeah. infrastructure bill, I think Trump, just, I, I think you're, you I might be confusing me Jason's for point and my point about Trump. I think you may be confusing me for. I think you may be confusing me for an interested partisan on this question. I'm not. I, I, if you'd like me to start laying out criticisms of Donald Trump, I can at length. But my no, my my point is that fundamentally, uh, so just answering your question about Hillary Clinton, what is the perception on the right? I think that that I think the perception I just laid out is a, is generally held by the right. And I think it's well-founded. Now you can, obviously, as you would, you're, you're close to Hillary. You've even said yourself on this, that you kind of have a biased perspective. That's totally fine. But it is, this is real. And, and I, I'm telling you, this is the perception of her. And um, I just don't see how, <laughs> I just don't see how she defeats that like, and, and makes her run for president. You know what I mean? I agree that there's a perception issue as there is with me and Jason and I talked about perception versus reality. And uh, it's not time to complain about that because politics is about perception versus reality. The Trump supporters would complain that there are misperceptions of Donald Trump that aren't consistent with the truth. And that is unfortunate about politics. Yeah, I I think it's interesting that um, people's problem with Hillary Clinton. And, and I have my own issues with, with Hillary Clinton. And I agree actually with, with Vince about um, Libya and some of the, the foreign policy decisions that were made in, in that regard. Um, that was a huge failure for not only Secretary Clinton, but also for President Obama, um, who I supported in, in, in 2008 and 2012. 
Are but, you talking about the death of of Gaddafi? Because that's what Vince mentioned. Or are you talking? Yeah, about I'm, I'm talking about the 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 destabilization of of Libya. I think was just a a, a bad situation that caused Libya to to go through even worse, you know, uh, situations. But that's that's not even. Uh, I think the the thing that I would find kind of interesting is the fact that you know people view uh hillary clinton as being well i think your your adjectives were cutthroat establishment what was the other one not my adjectives i was repeating vince's adjectives. yeah oh yeah no no i'm i'm speaking to vince here you said cutthroat cut establishment and something something yeah, i forget honestly vince, <laughs> i mean it's great with adjectives yeah, yeah. And i think it's time, really i, I think it's interesting you know, I just think it's interesting that, you know, we say that she is cutthroat and yet a lot of people on the right actually praise Donald Trump for being cutthroat. You know, he is a very cutthroat individual. They say she's establishment and he's a billionaire. Like, I, I don't I don't really understand. And I, I have to believe that there is some gender bias going on in, in that, you know, somehow the, the same things that Donald Trump is either excused or, or praised for. And, you know, you mentioned all these, the, the Clinton, uh, you know, the Clinton foundation thing, I, I could mm -hmm. disprove a lot of that. And, you know, you look at uh, people from Mother Jones and, and other progressive uh, publications have, have disproven. You look at the emails that got released, Huma Abedin, everybody that was trying to get to Clinton, to Hillary Clinton, through Huma Abedin got told to go suck an egg. So this whole idea that she was, you know, uh, you know, people currying favor through the Clinton uh, Foundation is unfounded at best. Um, and I, you know, I'm not here to defend Hillary Clinton, but I think that that is some of that is just a little bit unfair. Um, so I think we we need to to kind of clear the air. And also, when we talk about people being indicted, you were pulling out a few when the Trump administration has 34 indictments to it, uh, 34 officials yeah. were indicted. How about a national security advisor who pled guilty to lying to the FBI and my friend Vince uh, plucked out a so-called Clinton lawyer who's been accused and not tried for something I'm not even sure was a crime, but at least he did find one example. But you forgot about Michael Flynn pleading guilty to lying to the FBI. He was pardoned by President Trump. What about that one, Vince? I, I didn't forget about it. I, well, I'll tell you. Remember, the FBI was threatening it? to make his to ruin his son. Remember, they were the FBI was threatening. So as a part but of he a didn't plea mean deal, the guilty plea. No, he regrets that. He regretted that because he said he did it under the, under threat to his family, so, and he thought so that he, he swore, and he thought and he, he thought at the time oath that the opposite mm -hmm. of what you just said to the yep. judge. That's he did. So he was, exactly he was right. lying to the he was lying to the judge under oath that he had. I think if you were to ask, I think if you were to ask him, uh, and and I've I've talked to him before, but I don't remember the, the clearest answer to this. And maybe if I was representing him, this is what I would advise him. But you tell me, I'm not a lawyer. But um, he, uh, I believe his answer was that he earnestly believed it at the time. They, they, he, that he earnestly held that position because he thought that his duty to government and that his duty as as an American veteran was to acknowledge, yeah, I did wrong. It's but here transcript. is transcript says I lied. Yep. Did you lie knowingly when you told the FBI that you had made that phone call? Yes, I did. It's on the transcript on the record. Now, if he says I did it only because I was being coerced or whatever, uh -huh. and of course, uh -huh. the great lawyer cross-examination question is, let me get this straight. You admit to lying under oath, but now you want me to believe you. So at least I'm not right, reaching right. very far down the all the things that happened as a result of Mr. Mueller's investigation, yeah. he did not find that Donald Trump was involved in collusion, but so he many... did find obstruction of justice. So Mueller was at least balanced, didn't find the collusion and closed the investigation up in one year's time compared to what we remember from Whitewater when Republicans and many others yep. were egging on a Whitewater investigation involving a 20-year so real estate transaction. To, to go back yeah. to your point from a moment ago, you made a point about Michael Sussman. You said that he's been accused, but he hasn't been uh, convicted. Um, right. I would say the same would be true in the case of the Mueller report when it came to claims of obstruction of justice. Uh, he didn't even make a decision. Agreed. 
on the point of obstruction of justice. And I, that was- I agree. I agree with you that, okay. that uh, he made an allegation of obstruction. He laid out 10 instances of obstruction, but he didn't have, in my opinion, the courage to bring the charges. Uh, and he should have. But that is a very fair point, Vince. Uh, Jason, just so you know, once in a while, even at 630 in the morning, Vince could be reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so I, I have a question and it's going to sound harsh and I think you're probably going to get upset. <laughs> no, no, I only but get I, upset when my son tells me, dad, you're not perfect. <laughs> right. Um, so that is, and, and I have to say that I kind of feel this way, um, you know, 2016 when, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton lost that election and I wasn't excited to be honest. I wasn't excited about a, a Hillary Clinton presidency, but I didn't want a Trump presidency. So I was like, you know, I cast my ballot like everyone else did. And do, do you feel at all that Bill Clinton dragged the ticket down? Well, I would say the opposite according to data. So everyone has their opinions on Bill Clinton, but his uh, data in terms of popularity as an ex-president, despite everything that he went through that was pretty negative towards the last couple of years, uh, he's very favorably viewed by the American people when you ask, what do you think of Bill Clinton? So in 2016, are you saying Bill Clinton was a negative factor? I would say probably not. Uh, can't be certain because I haven't seen data on that. I do know that the emails uh, investigation launched by uh, uh, James Comey and made public 11 days from the election. And I wrote a book uh, proving with data that 11 days from the election, Hillary Clinton was winning by a landslide. The Comey letter was released with headlines on emails, criminal investigation now reopened for the last 11 days. And she plummeted, especially in the three battleground states, so, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin. So I'm not really sure that Bill Clinton is a serious reason why she lost. I think James Comey in my book, I proved his letter so, was the reason. So let, let's say, put you in the position of James Comey in that situation. Do you withhold that and then get accused of withholding information uh, to influence a, a, uh, an election? You know, of course, we know the Trump campaign would have totally used their bully pulpit to say that the FBI was in the tank, the government, the swamp, all of them are backing Hillary Clinton. This was a fixed rig, rigged election. Do you think if you're James Comey, do you withhold that information or do you put the letter out? Because I've honestly looked at that and it seems like it's chicken or the egg. I would uh, not have wanted to be in that, in that situation. If I get your mailing address, I'll even send it to Vince, although I don't think he'll read it. I'll send you my book that answers that exact question. Comey wants you to think on this, I agree with Donald Trump. Comey committed a firing offense 11 days from the election, violating Justice Department policies that go back. There it is. Thank hey, you. There we go. Look. You don't need to send it to me. I got it right here. I'm like, Lanny Davis, this is right here on my bookshelf. That's amazing. There was a third choice that I write about in my book. The data shows the impact of the letter 11 days out. The fact is, for at least 40 years, no Justice Department has issued an indictment until after an election within 60 days of an election uh, for president. That's just policy. But the most important answer is he had a third choice. Yeah. And the third choice was his answer to Congress when they asked him, when he said there wasn't a criminal case that can be brought according to the FBI against Hillary Clinton. He then said, if something comes up between now and the election, we will take a look. We will take a look. Instead of taking a look at Aberdeen's emails, because you know that on the Sunday before the Tuesday of the election, he put out a one paragraph in the middle of the night statement. We looked and there was nothing there. So the headline on Monday, the day before the election was, there was nothing there, but it was a little late. So the alternative for him would have been to send his FBI agents to Huma Abedin's apartment and look at the emails on her laptop and then decide whether they had a case. Then it would have been a tough call if they thought she'd committed a crime, whether you have to make that public before the election. 
but he didn't even take a look. In my opinion, the only thing I agree with Donald Trump on, James Comey only thinks of one person. He's the second biggest narcissist on the planet. Donald Trump, in my opinion, being the first. James Comey is number two. He has no right as FBI director under J. Edgar Hoover, whoever had no right to hold a press conference and announce that somebody was extremely careless, but not going to be indicted. That's called dirtying somebody up without an indictment. We don't do that in America. Comey did that at his press conference in July. He yeah. cleared her of not prosecuting her, but he said she was extremely careless. Excuse me, Mr. Comey, you're FBI director. You're not the attorney general. We only speak to an indictment when we make an accusation in America. We don't right. offer opinions. So Donald Trump was right in firing James Comey, but for the wrong reasons. How's that for my agreeing with Trump on something, Vince? This is a <laughs> I agree with so, you. I agree so, with you. I, I, that assessment's that assessment's right on on um, James Comey. I, that was an unfair thing for him to do. That was not his job. His 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 job is to is to uh, level charges. Investigate. Yeah, to to conduct invest yeah, the head of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. That's he usurped the authority of the Department of Justice as well in this process. And Loretta Lynch, um, he was out of control. He was out of and control. And uh, Jason, I, if you if you just read the last chapter of my book, I took the data eleven days out from all the polls in the in the battleground states where she was winning by four to six points, which is a healthy margin in those always close purple states. She plummeted like a rock. And by the time election day came, I was not surprised. Uh, I thought she would win. And she ended up, of course, winning in over 3 million popular vote margin. But the effect of that Comey letter was uh, very, very dramatic. So what do you, what do you, what's your opinion of Bernie Sanders throughout this? Uh... So I, I love Sanders as a human being. I don't know him well. He was uh, very uh, gracious with me when I shook his hand in Iowa and knew that I had, been uh, campaigning for his opponent. I think he's out of the mainstream of traditional liberal de Democrats for FDR all the way through John Kennedy and Bill Clinton. But I think he's an important presence in our party and he's an important conscience on the left. So on a personal level, I like Bernie Sanders. I do think he went overboard in the stridency in the way he attacked Hillary Clinton. But I also think he was gracious to Hillary Clinton when he said, I'm sick and tired of those damn emails. Uh, we all wanted to kiss him. So I like Bernie Sanders' bottom line. Well, did, did you think that Sanders supporters have a legitimate criticism about the way that the Democrat Democratic Party handles the primary nominating process? Because, you know, back in 16, remember the fight, of course, and it all ends up all the way at the DNC uh, with the resignation of Debbie Wasserman Schultz on the first day of the convention is that Bernie Sanders supporters were alleging that the the game was rigged uh, on Hillary Clinton's behalf uh, and that he had no shot by virtue of of the DNC's rules. So I do facts. I don't do adjectives. You do adjectives very well. So the only fact I know I also about, do facts. I'm good at that, too. <laughs> oh, I think you're, when you agree with me, you're very good. Uh, uh, the only fact I know of that was regrettable was uh, and a very good friend of mine, Donna Brazile, who admits making a mistake, uh, called the Hillary uh, Clinton campaign about what was coming up in a debate. And that was unfair to Bernie Sanders. How many votes that mattered in the primary outcome between Clinton and Sanders? I never heard anybody make that case. But aside from that one example, I've never heard of another example where anything done by the DNC helped Hillary Clinton. I know there are allusions to uh, databases and fundraising and other things, but no facts, just allusions. But I think the Bernie Sanders had uh, people had a right to see the DNC and the officials and Congresswoman Schultz, a longtime supporter of Hillary Clinton, as being biased towards Hillary. And that certainly was true. And if I were they, I would have resented that. Yeah, it sounded though in a lot of interviews that that I've heard with Secretary Clinton she actually still blames a little bit of her loss I mean of course on James Comey but also on Bernie Sanders is that unfair of her I mean this is the democratic process he had the right to to continue uh through even though there was a wide margin I I listen I supported uh probably you know I supported Bernie Sanders over Secretary Clinton but I would tell everybody else, look, this thing is over <laughs> during the 
during the uh, the primary. I was like, it's not close. She's winning. She's getting more votes. That's the way this works. But he has the right to stay in it. Um, and a lot of times, Secretary Clinton has gone back and blamed uh, Bernie Sanders. Is she being unfair? Uh, not unfair. I, I would say that it's uh, human if you think you have it won and you want to start organizing to defeat Donald Trump. And there's no chance that Bernie Sanders could make up the gap, that he waited until the convention night to endorse her. And if you're a Clinton supporter, you're going to be upset with that. But I have to remind you, Jason, that in 2008, when it was neck and neck between Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, down to the closing weeks, she had won as many popular votes, she had won more primaries, and the delegate count was still close. Obama people supporters, and I'm a supporter of Obama for sure, but wasn't when I was supporting Hillary Clinton, are still angry with Hillary Clinton for not dropping out earlier and endorsing Barack Obama earlier. Her excuse, which I think is different than Bernie Sanders, is it was close. And until it was down to the wire at the convention, she wasn't ready to give up. In the case of Bernie Sanders, it was mathematically impossible for him to get the nomination, yet he waited until the last moment. But I don't blame Sanders and I don't blame anyone uh, for wanting his moment in the sun to stand at the podium and then endorse Hillary Clinton. That's kind of the way it works and didn't surprise me. All right, yeah. I think it. Uh Go ahead. I'm, I'm well, I'm, I just think that we've we've uh, we've used a lot of Lanny Davis's time today. He, uh, uh, I've enjoyed he's, it. Uh, he's uh, he's he's been very generous with it. And uh, I like having Lanny around because, you know, he, he has to he forces me to like, you know, actually debate. I was like, you know, <laughs> he's like pulling me in. I'm like, Lanny, I'm just trying to have a nice conversation. And you want to want to debate. <laughs> actually, we had a great conversation, Lanny. Thank was, you very much. It was, it, this reminds me of the old days of, of, of Crossfire. And I do want to reference someone named Tucker Carlson. As I say goodbye to you and thank you for inviting me. I'm here because of a longtime friendship with Tucker Carlson. There is about almost nothing that I agree with Tucker on. But I first got to know him when he was a conservative critic of Bill Clinton and I was at the White House and no one would take his phone calls. And he was a young writer for the National Review, a conservative. And I said, why shouldn't I talk to the guy? He's trying to do his job. I wanted to be a reporter when I grew up. So I talked to him on the phone and I answered his questions. And then the rest is history. We've been friends ever since, but we couldn't disagree more on most issues. So I'm here and the Daily Caller and this program, just to prove that if Tucker Carlson and I could be friends, then Jason, with all due respect, Vince is a nice guy and want to harm his <laughs> ratings. You're going to enjoy debating him because I've had the pleasure over the years. So please invite me back, Vince and Jason. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Lanny. Thank you, uh, guy. You know, and I'm and I and I'm going to need your address, or I'll give you my address so you can send me that book. For sure, for sure. And you see, it's right nearby, Vince. Yeah, I and always listen, got it near. And one other thing, you know, I have a tough critic named Seth Davis. When you watch the final four and he's up there with uh, Greg Gumbel and Clark Kellogg and Charles Barkley, and you'll see Seth and you'll say, he's so reasonable. He's so articulate. He's nothing like his father. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Thank you, guys. Absolutely. That's awesome. Thank, Thank you, Lanny Davis. Thanks a lot, Lanny.